Hello and welcome to another episode of Bring on the Podcasts. As always, I'm your host, Luke Thompson. JT Van Gilder is here with us today. JT, how was your Christmas? Uh, it wasn't too bad. Try to say COVID safe and all that good stuff and just enjoyed watching the, the kids open presents, which is at this point is, is almost more fun than opening presents myself. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, always a good time. And Kansas State's basketball players got a, a nice little Christmas break Tuesday night against Omaha, which may or may not be after you hear this podcast. But either way, you will be hearing this before Kansas State hosts TCU on Saturday. So we brought back on friend of the podcast, TCU Sports Information Director for Basketball, uh, Stephen Schoen. Stephen, how you doing? Hey, good. Good to be back with you guys again. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for coming on. And uh, Stephen, I think, you know, I want to start actually by, by rewinding a little bit and just asking you what was it like to be at the last Big 12 tournament game of 2020? When, of course, Kansas State beat TCU <laughs> uh, in that one. Yeah, yeah. That, gosh, I'll... Um... I kept getting reminded of that this year because we played uh, in Kansas City again in the mm-hmm. uh, Hall of Fame Classic in November. So I got reminded of that real quick that we were just there and played one of the last games of 2020 uh, or of uh, of March. And so, yeah, we. Uh, I remember that our game was going to be the last game that they were going to allow fans to watch the mm-hmm. game. And they kept doing announcements during the game and everyone was very upset because, you know, I mean, a lot of people, <laughs> the Iowa State fans, I mean, that's their spring break. And so people had spent their whole, their whole weekend to come down and watch the game. And this was the Wednesday game. So they kept making an announcement that starting Thursday, no fans will be allowed, but the tournament was going to go on. And so we play the game, lose. And then like, so the next morning, Cause that was a late game, the last game, uh, and we were gonna go. We were gonna go home, and <laughs> I think right before we left to go to the airport, I remember having breakfast, and they made the announcement that that tournament was gonna be canceled. I think that's when it happened, and and then like they were just talking about like the end of March Madness and the end of the season for everybody for everything. And then, so we fly home and then land, and then we all look at our phones, and then we see that all the tournaments are being canceled. And talk said like it was most likely that March Madness was going to be canceled, and I was just, I was just shocked. Oh, and during our game with K State on Wednesday, I remember our AD was sitting right behind me in the stands, and he leaned over to me, tapped my shoulder, and said, "Hey." Do you see that Rudy Gobert just tested positive? And I'm like, no way! And it was a huge deal, like yeah. it was for everyone. And so I kept, I kept reminding him of that that he was, he was the guy to break it to me that this was a <laughs> bigger deal than anyone yeah. could imagine. Everyone's lives would change forever. Yeah, yeah, pretty crazy. And then Rudy Gobert, I feel like he got a COVID bonus or something, getting that $205 million contract. That was wild. (laughs) (laughs) But then it was funny how he wasn't he the guy who like scored the first basket in the bubble or something when they started back up? Uh, Maybe. I remember everyone was upset with him. They did the thing with the the press conference and (laughs) taking it serious. And then everyone said that, yeah, he should win awards for saving everyone's lives. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's wild. So, and obviously, I mean, we're still dealing with the, the consequences of that. You've got, I mean, you, you've been able to go to games, but a lot of times playing in empty arenas or maybe a few hundred fans. Uh, I know we certainly hear Bruce Weber yelling a lot more. Uh, you know, how's that for you at, at TCU games and kind of, you know, how are they handling it as a team? Well, it's interesting because, I mean, I, I hear coaches in practice all the time, and it kind of, it's just like our scrimmages. I mean, at TCU, uh, Coach Dixon always likes to do two scrimmages before the season starts, those closed-door scrimmages. And so it's kind of just like that all the time. And he's very vocal anyway, so I can always hear him, but I can definitely look around and see that everyone else is also hearing him. So it's it's really interesting. And at TCU, like, I mean, we haven't had great crowds every night like a lot of other Big 12 teams. So I don't know if our not having fans will be that much more effective than some other teams. Like I, every time I watch KU games or Iowa State games, I just look and it's like, oh, that's sad. Yeah. You've never seen that before. Uh, they both have the, some benches pulled back to allow for social distancing on the bench. And uh, it's just, it's completely different. Yeah. Yeah. And I know like the K-State broadcasters are talking about how they're up top now. Um, I feel like they're putting some reporters up top, but then there are still some people sitting courtside. You still have your normal courtside seat? Yeah, I do for our home games. Every everyone's setup has been different it's just different arenas different distancing measures are taking place Uh, i mean everyone has to be distant by six feet but some scorers tables are longer than others and so some have gone like what oklahoma state has done where they brought in some risers and they go like three tiers back to separate everyone so you know they put the communications people on the second row there and some video people in the third row it's been a big challenge, honestly, with the way that we're doing media, not just the mm-hmm. the Zoom press conferences instead of normal press conferences, but we are credentialing less media just because we have less space. So mm-hmm. it's tough to pick and choose who is worthy of attending your game. And I talked with Chris Tyson, my counterpart at Kansas earlier in the year, and they usually credential, I think, 45, and they were credentialing 10 people this year for games at Kansas. Yeah. Just wow. based, they don't have any other place to put them. It was on the court, and on the court, you have to be tested a certain amount of time. So obviously, media aren't going to be allowed on the court. So it just it changes everyone for this one year. Yeah. Photographers are extremely limited on where they can go and access they can get. So we have some shooting photos from the stands because we have that space, but other arenas don't have space for photographers to shoot from the stands. So it just dependent on uh, your space and what you have available. Yeah. And I don't know if you guys saw the report today, but somebody said that uh, the NCAA has already trademarked mask madness and said that they want to, make masks with that phrase and you know try to promote mask wearing and, and that kind of stuff or uh, whatever the NCAA tournament looks like so, <laughs> I didn't funny. see that NCAA is, <laughs> is nothing if not good at trying to make money off of 
whatever they can, especially as it relates to college basketball. Exactly. Well, and here's the thing. Like, we're doing all these rules to ensure that March Madness happens because everyone knows how valuable that Mm -hmm. is to all of college athletics. So, like, I had a tough time explaining to people at work that the rules for the TCU volleyball games are different than the rules for TCU basketball because that March Madness is worth billions <laughs> to all of college athletics yeah. and volleyball is not. And college football is not. So there are different rules for that. Like basketball is everything right now to the NCAA. And they have all these rules to ensure that people stay safe and healthy and we can have a tournament that's broadcast on all the Turner networks in March. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I guess, I mean, TCU just had to make an adjustment, right? Because of COVID, because Texas Southern couldn't play. So you guys put yeah. Prairie View A&M on the schedule, right? Yeah, that just happened this week. The, really the only interruption for games that TCU has had this mm-hmm. year. Texas Southern had some cases within their program, and they canceled a few games, and we were one of them. LSU was one of them. I think they had one more that went down. So. Coaches made some calls, and they were pretty optimistic when it happened that they could find a game, and they found one real quick. So they got Prairie View A&M on the schedule. And, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, one of the things that that's kind of funny to me is, like, Bruce Weber and, and really every coach that I've seen will, like, have a mask on, but whenever they want to say something, whether it's yelling or talking to guys in the huddle, <laughs> they pull the mask down. And it's kind of like, what what's <laughs> the point? <laughs> and I mean, I know they're they're being yeah. tested all the time, so that's the way they keep us. But sometimes the mask just seems like theatrics, almost. <laughs> yeah, it it's very tough for coaches, especially the ones that are more vocal. And honestly, a lot of the coaches are vocal now because they know they can be heard in that arena, so right. they have a better opportunity to coach kids in game. It's it's tough, you know how it is, just wearing a mask and and then just talking, and then imagine talking louder and yelling and that's just it's tough and the coaches are getting tested just like the players so should coaches have to wear a mask i don't know i've heard a bunch of people argue both ways for it so but the rule is they have to and it's it's becoming a it's definitely a challenge i mean you see on the sidelines it's yeah it's tough it's more it's more so to set a good example for those watching right right and JT, I'd be interested to hear your perspective. I know you and your family chose not to go to games this year. Um, you know, have you talked to anybody that is going to games and kind of what's that been like for you? I haven't talked to anybody that's been to any games. Um, I want to say I, the basketball coach at, at MCC where I work made it up there for one early on and said it was quite a bit different. But, you know, it's I think that was him I was talking to about that. So I I know I've slept since then, <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was just one of those, like, like we, we went to football games and that didn't bother me, you know, being outside a lot more space. Uh, just, just with the way things are, wife being a teacher and already lots of issues there and, and not knowing, uh, you know, luckily we've only had a couple games moved or canceled and, you know, it's, it's been pretty steady and those were really early games anyways, that might not have had fans, but, you know, just the not knowing with the schedule and it's already kind of a pain to get to some of these games, you know, a, a Wednesday night game at six o'clock is, is tough. You can get off work and eat real quick and then get to the arena and, yeah. and late nights with kids and stuff. So it just, it just added up and 
it's like, well, we'll just be safe and, and not do it. But so it's definitely been weird watching home games from my house <laughs> instead of, you know, my seat at the top of section 15 in Bramlage. Mm-hmm. So do you still get um, the kids to watch with you? Uh, for the most part, yeah. I, I get a lot of, it takes too long and I want it to be over now, <laughs> uh, which is less so than, than for football, but it's still, but at home then it's, you know, they can go do their own thing and I can just right. watch in the other room or something. <laughs> so not too bad. Yeah. That's, that's good. Hey, Luke. All right. My, so, uh, it all, yeah. I was going to say, my parents wanted to uh, ask me if I was going to go, if I wanted to go to the Chiefs Falcons game on Sunday. And I just Ooh. didn't want to because. Oh. It just, yeah. I don't, I mean, to drive four hours and then watch a game wearing a mask yeah. in a environment that I've never seen before at Arrowhead Stadium. Right. It's not sold right. out. So. I just didn't want that experience. We ended up not going. It's it's probably been a good yeah. decision because that game was crazy. Yeah. It was yeah, cold. The Chiefs and... played that game. You want to be there anyway? Yeah, it was cold. Yeah. Windy. Well, with all, with all that being said about how this year is weird, they are still playing basketball. So let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, you know, something we've talked about all year is how young and experienced Kansas State is, but – you know, if there's one team in the Big 12 that could maybe compare to the Wildcats, it, it might be TCU. There's no seniors in the regular rotation. You got five freshmen, four sophomores. So, uh, Stephen, I mean, just how much is TCU relying on freshmen? And and I guess that conversation kind of has to start with Mike Miles, who's averaging about 35 minutes and 20 points per game in his last five games. Yeah, uh, you said it. TCU and K-State have some of the youngest teams and a lot of underclassmen. And our freshman class is really good. Mike Miles is really, really good. I, I've i never seen a player that good on a team that I've been with. And Desmond Bain just graduated and got drafted in the first round. But he's just, Mike Miles knows how to play. And uh, we have a couple of those guys on the team that, you know, have a high basketball IQ. Francisco Farabello is the other one. And uh, Mike Miles, to do it as a freshman, has been really impressive. Newcomer of the week again this week. And, I mean, he has to go against Cade Cunningham with that award every week, too. And um, he's had it twice. The rest of the freshman class, talented, but I don't think they'll play much this year. That's Eddie Lampkin and Taryn Mm -hmm. Frank for many reasons. The the main reason is they've missed a lot of practice. He's a big guy. It, so here's the here's the deal with Eddie. Eddie arrived at TCU in July, and I listed him on the website uh, with a weight of three thirty three. That is what I got <laughs> from the strength coach. Wow! <laughs> and he has since come down to what did Coach Dixon tell me last week? He is at two eighty seven. Wow. Okay. And. Uh, he he needs to come down a little bit more before he can play. But he's talented. He just needs to get his body right. And yeah. the quarantine time that our players have gone through doesn't necessarily help with getting the body right. And that's sure. been a big challenge with our guys. And yeah. Coach... So Dixon I got to say, I saw... Yeah. yeah, I saw Northwestern State was on the schedule, and I was disappointed that he didn't get on the floor and get to go up against Larry Owens, their 300-pound guy. I think that would have been a fun matchup. <laughs> yeah. 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 
you know, at, at that size, I'm surprised Gary Patterson didn't just walk over and say, hey, no, you're going to come play football. <laughs> I need you to be a, yeah. a defensive tackle. <laughs> okay, thanks. Hey, we needed some help on the offensive line this year. Our offensive line got beat up. So, yeah, he uh, – I mean, yes, him walking the halls didn't look like a, a basketball player for a while. Yeah. But he's he's on his way. So, coach is pretty high on him. I think he'll – benefit if this was a normal year where coat where you didn't get that year back like everyone's getting that he would be a red shirt candidate for sure but there's really no point doing that yeah but you want to talk about the rest of the underclassmen uh let's see uh kevin easley a transfer from chattanooga again another guy who's missed some time and needs some more practice time but he's been starting for us at the four spot a position we really didn't have last year and then Coach Dixon's been going with a lot of four-guard lineups, which features P.J. Fuller, who was a highly touted freshman for us last year and is a sophomore this year. And he's trying to find his groove. And And TCU's been without Francisco Farabello for the last four games due to COVID protocol. And he's missed tons of time, too, but he'll be in the lineup hopefully this week. So that gives him another guard to go with. Miles and RJ Nimhard. So there's there's definitely not a lot of names across the TCU roster that I recognize, but I feel like I, I feel like Nemhard's been playing for TCU for like ten years now. I mean, oh. he's even only a junior, and yeah. feels yeah. like he's been around forever. Yeah. So RJ Nemhard and Kevin Samuel uh, took a redshirt season their first year. RJ mm-hmm. played actually in six games that first year, and then and then redshirted. So yeah, he's been in the program for four years, and he's really benefited by being in the program for four years. He's improved every year by a lot. I think he averaged around eight points as a freshman, his redshirt freshman year, and then he was at 12 last year, and now he's almost at 18. He's second in the Big 12 in scoring. It's remarkable. Wow. He's put in the time. His body is right. He's taken some of that work ethic that he saw from Desmond Bain, who was the hardest working guy I've ever seen. He was always taking extra shots in the morning and the evening. And I think he's starting to get that by putting that work in. You can make yourself better. And he's definitely been doing that. It's really incredible. I I really didn't think that he would become a player like this and he has he's shooting at a high percentage i think that's top five in the conference and taking care of the ball better all all things that used to be a problem used to shoot a low percentage used to have a lot of turnovers and his three-point shooting was non-existent and he's completely changed all that so i'm really happy to see that especially for a kid who's local from basically north fort worth and keller yeah that's cool and so is he and, and Samuel or those guys kind of look to as the leaders of this team? Yeah, no question. Those are the those are the two guys with the departure of Bain. Someone had to fill that role. And uh, they've both been very vocal, especially Kevin Samuel, who freshman year, sophomore year, didn't say a whole lot of anything. And uh, he's really been the vocal guy in the and he's actually played really, uh, really well, too, averaging almost three blocks a game and about 10 rebounds a game. Yeah. So. He's been really, really good, too. So we, we have a lot of really good pieces and a lot of options, too, which Dixon hasn't always had with teams at TCU. But a, a lot of options, and we're playing really well right now, and a lot of that has to do with 
guys being available for practice, which has not been the case for most of the season. Yeah. Well, and something that's interesting to me is uh, Samuel is leading the team in steals. You don't see that a lot from 6'11 guys. You know, where are those coming from? Is he like stealing entry passes or is he getting out and making plays? Or? Uh, yeah, good point. Um, what I've seen, just deflections from feeds to the post and guys in the post that are looking to push it out to the wings, just getting his hands on it. Honestly, our, TCU doesn't – I don't think we were very high in the steals category anyways. No, but he's yeah. so lengthy. Yeah, his, wingspan's, his wingspan's so good. So he's going to get a hands on yeah. – uh, on balls we last year i don't know if we're doing it this year but last year we would do this chain you know like a turnover chain but it was a deflection chain it was called the deflector <laughs> and he he could have won it every week by just getting hands on balls and being disruptive hmm. but i do want to go back to, to mike miles though because you know not only is he playing through well but it, he's it seems like he's already made a pretty big jump from the start of the season he wasn't even starting was getting kind of limited minutes you know have you seen his confidence grow and, and coaches getting more confidence in him i would say it's probably the latter it's probably the coaching staff having confidence to play a freshman like that and have a yeah. freshman legit be the guy like he he could be the guy on the team that you go to like a like a kate cunningham because he's he's yeah. that good so i think it's probably more so like a lot of coaches do, I'm not going to play him. I'm not going to start him right away. You know, he's just a freshman. I'm not going to start. I mean, it's tough. To, and it is tough to trust a freshman as being one of your top five, especially in a year like this where you don't have a normal summer and you can't work out those guys starting in May like you normally do. You know, you have to wait for them to come here and then you deal with all the quarantining and the uh, contact tracing that every coach has gone through. So, yeah. But yes, you're seeing a, a kid who's really talented and getting more and more confident and coaches are giving him the time to get in and make something happen. And he's really been incredible with everything, with shooting percentage, making smart plays. He's unselfish. He's not someone who's going to hog the ball. He's not going <laughs> to take it and dribble it for 15 seconds. He knows what he's going to do. So. He's yeah. been really impressive, and he can just – I'm pretty confident he can hang with about anyone in the conference, really, especially from that guard position. So, yeah, yeah he's, be he's been great. Matchup. Interesting matchup, him against Nigel Pack, because Nigel's also been Kansas State's best player. I guess, JT, I mean, not really about Bruce, you know, trusting him right away as much as he didn't have much of a choice. I mean, you had Mike McGurl coming back, but he wasn't going to fight point guard, right? Right. And I mean, you pick up a guy like Nigel Pack, who's the what highest rated player by, I think, 247 uh, in their composite for K-State's class. I mean, you pick up a kid like that to start from day one. I mean, yeah, he's a true freshman, but even there's a lot of teams. He, you know, he, he would start for a lot of teams around the country, not just K-State in, in our predicament. But yeah, he's definitely a solid player. He's got that compact stroke I, I know eric likes to talk about it a lot at really consistent shooting stroke but he makes a lot of good passes too you can definitely tell he's still working out the mm-hmm. college game speed working on you know the college game speed and and some of that and, and but seems to be getting better game to game it looks a little better each time out and 
I know I, I he he's going to be a pretty outstanding, hopefully four year player for the Wildcats. Yeah. But yeah, it, that should be a good matchup. You know, freshman on freshman, and see who comes out on top of that one. Yeah, yeah. And so all these young guys, I guess maybe not a coincidence that that both teams are struggling a little bit defensively, even though you've got two very good defensive coaches. You know, TCU is actually, uh, you mentioned that the Steels, they are last in the conference in turnovers forced. They're ninth in field goal percentage against, although they're six percentage points better than Kansas State. Just to put that in perspective, the difference between second and ninth is not as big as the difference between ninth and tenth. So K-State defense has has a lot of work to do. <laughs> but, you know, Stephen, I I know Bruce has been really talking about the defense a lot and upset about it. And I imagine Jamie Dixon is the same way with TCU's defense. Yeah, I, I think that's that has to be something that every coach wants to be good at. They, I think every coach wants to be a good defensive team, and Coach Dixon definitely preaches that all the time. And I honestly, I, I mean, there's still time, but I, I thought we were going to be a really good defensive team. We were really good in the first couple games, I think. And then uh, what happened? Liberty hit some threes. Uh, Oklahoma shot really well against Providence. Shot really well against us. So, oh, and then North Dakota State, our last game, killed us. We just happened to shoot a little better than they did, and that's why we won. But yeah, I, I mean, you think that with a guy like Kevin Samuel, uh, someone who's going to get hands on balls and have a lot of blocks and a lot of rebounds, but stats aren't everything. And if you looked at the film from the last game against North Dakota State you'd think that we're a pretty bad defensive team, but it, I mean, there's a lot of factors at play, but Mike Miles, good defensive player. RJ Nimhard, good defensive player. PJ Fuller, really good defensive player. Uh, last game also, a reason for TCU fans to be encouraged is TCU took five charges in the game, three by Fuller, two by Miles. I've never seen that before. That's been a, a challenge at TCU for guys to take charges, so. That was yeah. very encouraging, and the coaches were super happy with that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it sounds like, I mean, it's kind of similar to what's going on at KSA. I mean, JT, I don't know how you feel about it, but I feel like, you know, there's some really good on, on ball defenders. Jishwan Gordon, you know, McGurl does a decent job, but where they're really struggling is to help the events and the rotations. And that, that's why they're giving up a lot of open three pointers. And hopefully that's something that you can teach and will come with time, don't you think? Yeah, and especially early on, I felt like they were helping too much sometimes, especially Mike McGurl was really trying to help too much on the outside and, and leaving his man. And so, yeah, they were playing, you know, if, if, if they just played straight up man, it wasn't too big a deal. But if they started to try to play help, then they got themselves out of position real fast. Now I feel like, especially these last few games, I mean, even the Baylor game when we were clearly outmatched, they played a lot better team defense. They didn't hedge quite so hard, you know, on, on that help, you know, they, they still came over, but not, you know, maybe quite as aggressively to try to, to help each other out. So like just trusting each other, I think has, has, has been a big thing. And that, that comes with, you know, playing together. Uh, clearly these guys didn't get a normal off season. You know, a lot of them worked out together, but it was, you know, individual drills and they're not really working on defense and individual drills. They're working on shooting and, ball handling and stuff like that. So I, I think it'll come for the Wildcats, but it's it's definitely going to be a work in progress over the course of the season. Mm-hmm. 
and I mentioned the, the three-point defense and that vulnerability looks like it could be a little bit of an issue against CCU. You've got five guys on the roster, I'm seeing, Stephen, that have shot at least 23s and are hitting 40% or better. I mean, is, is that a strength of this team? And they, They've hit more threes than anybody in the Big 12 besides Kansas. So yeah. it seems like they're doing pretty well. Yeah, I, I didn't really anticipate that this year because they lost Desmond Bain. And uh, that was his thing was shooting and making threes. And, uh, but I didn't really think Mike Miles would be a guy that would be doing this, especially from three point range. And then RJ Nimhard has improved tremendously from three point range. So that's a guy, I'm looking at stats now, Miles makes 17 threes. Uh, RJ's made 15. They're both shooting over 40%. Miles is 17 of 35. I mean, he's almost 50%. So. It's crazy. Uh, crazy. Yeah. And then um, and this is without Francisco Farabello for the last four games, who was our best three-point shooter before he was out. So he is, I would say he is our best shooter and he's been out. So, and then Taryn Todd is another kid who uh, he was high school teammates with PJ Fuller and he redshirted last year. And so that is someone that really no one knew nothing about going into the season and he's been a really good shooter for us. So that's been a pleasant surprise. I, I didn't anticipate us being this good from three point range. I think we've had the same thing with, with Nigel pack at uh, the cats. Yeah. Like we didn't expect him to come in and be, you know, the team's basically the best outside shooter or most consistent outside shooter. At least he was last game. And, and he was like really early in the season. He went through that stretch there where he couldn't, right. He couldn't get cold. He got uh, his aim was off, I think, just a little bit. But yeah, it, it's been surprising for sure. Yeah, and then you know it was nice to see Deshwan hit a couple uh, a few last game, and I I like you know he takes some. I think you got to keep defenders honest, but I still cringe a little bit sometimes because he's so good when he when he's attacking the basket, his his athleticism. I kind of like to see him do that more often than than just settle for threes. Yeah, he's definitely at his best when he's attacking the basket and going using that his athleticism to get in there among the trees and and get to the basket. Like, like yeah, he, especially he when he's you know okay outside. But yeah, it it makes me nervous every time he he takes that shot from deep when he really should just be attacking the basket, getting the free throw line. Free shooter too. So. Right now, yeah, he's been. What do you? He went what thirteen of fourteen or something. A couple games ago, you know, he was 11-11 versus Iowa State, right? There you go. So, yeah, that was pretty good. Uh, but speaking of free throws, I, I imagine Nixon is also not happy with his team shooting sixty-three percent. No, it's not good. <laughs> it's not good. I'm not, I never know what to say to that. Coach doesn't. I mean, coach gets asked in, in post-game interviews, yeah. and I'm like, we practice it. I mean, I don't know what else. Right. You could do. Right. Uh, it's, I guess, as as most coaches would say, and I would say the same thing. Like the right guys aren't necessarily at the line. Like I would like to have Mike Miles and Francisco Farabello at the line all the time. Those would be our two best free throw shooters. Even though I'm looking at the stats, and Farabello's one for four, which is crazy. But that's he hasn't played much. But yeah, um, I don't know. I, I don't know. How do you coach free throw shooting? It, I mean, Kevin Samuel, he is shooting better than he was last year at this time. He was about 30% this year. He's 51, almost 52. So, 
I don't know. Well, if somebody does figure out how to coach free throw shooting, you should probably tell Bruce Weber too. That seems like his teams oh, have God. always struggled for whatever reason. Which is weird. Yeah. Bruce himself is yeah. an incredible free throw shooter. I, yeah. I he just doesn't seem to want to translate to his team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then I guess another thing I want to talk about with that you mentioned that TCU goes four guard lineups a lot. That's what K State's been doing. In fact, I I kind of like the lineups when they have like Bradford or Lingard in there with four guards. It's a lot of fun, especially you know when throwing oops to Bradford or whatever. He he seems to do well when he gets the ball near the basket. But the one thing that's really frustrating for me for Kansas State is even playing small ball. They're still one of the slowest teams. And you look at the Kin Palm ratings, they're they're 344th in adjusted tempo. I mean, will TCU try to run it a little more? That that hasn't really been an emphasis. I mean, I guess I'm talking I'm thinking about practice. They they talk about tempo all the time, but I, I don't know if they have the personnel and the experience to do it like that. I don't know. I mean, I think again, the coach most coaches want to be that up tempo team. I haven't even looked at what Allegedly. TCU's is. Do you know? Uh, two seventy four. Yeah, that's not real high. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like neither team is wanting to move around very quickly. Yeah, it's just that's something Bruce says he emphasizes every year, and then it never materializes, and it just frustrates me to no end. But, um, you know. Yeah, well, I'm looking at it now. TCU under Dixon has not been in the top one hundred. In fact, last year they were three eighteen. Yeah. It's actually moving faster this year. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. There you go. All right. Well, 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 hopefully it won't be too boring on Saturday. No. Come on, guys. <laughs> it's going to be a uh, first team to 60 kind of game. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I mean, K State's offense has been pretty decent when they don't turn the ball over, honestly. You know, better when they when they move the ball around, which I think the ball movement has gotten a little bit better. Don't you think, JT? Yeah, their biggest enemy is still themselves, though. Yeah. It's yeah. throwing the ball away. I mean, they're they're still getting. I think the assists have increased, but the turnovers have stayed high, and they're and there are a lot of just thrown away balls, like they mishandle mm-hmm. something, or they're trying to make an aggressive play and just you know chuck it across the court to nobody, and or just somebody loses a handle on it and it dribbles out of bounds. Like, and they're not getting a lot of steals. They're not a lot of, you know, fast break turnovers, but they add up and they're definitely still a point of concern. Yeah. And the turnovers were the huge problem against Baylor too. I mean, Steven, have you ever seen a team shoot 48% from the field and a half and still be down by 29 at halftime? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> it was absurd. I mean, we got 60% from the field in the game and off this year. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't help when you don't, you can't grab a defensive rebound either. So, yeah. and Baylor shot like 70%. So, you know, that's tough. Tough all around. Okay. Well, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. And we're back. So, Stephen, just, you know, talking about Baylor, you know, they're, they're at the top of this league right now, but. When was the last time you've seen? And I know you've been you've been a Big Twelve fan your whole life, obviously, Kansas and being a KU fan. 
Um, when was the last time you've seen the, the conference this long at the top four or five teams? Oh, well, I mean, you know, as much as I do, like the, the Big 12 is always regarded as the best. I mean, the site that we were talking about, Ken Palm, has them as the best, I think, maybe the last six or seven years. But yeah, the polls come out this week, and half of the league is in the top 13. Yeah. That's, That's crazy. crazy. And it's going to be rough. Like, it's just everyone's just going to beat up on everyone, too. I mean, you know that'll happen. You know there'll be upsets. You know TCU will get a few. I bet you K-State will get one. Yeah, I mean, K-State's going to beat Oklahoma at home because that's what we do. (laughs) I'm not sure what it is, but we manage to beat Oklahoma in Bramlage every year. So uh, we get at least one more. And TCU already got a pretty impressive win. Actually, so the only TCU basketball I've really watched this year was the last two minutes of Oklahoma State game. They made that really impressive comeback to win by one. I mean, that's got to be a big confidence builder for this team. That was huge. So TCU outscored Oklahoma State 9-0 in the last two minutes and beat them by one. And I can tell you, last year, we were on the other side of that a couple times where we couldn't score and the other team would beat us by one or two. So it was so nice to be on the other side of it and have a uh, happy bus ride back from Stillwater. In two buses, by the way, because of COVID. And so, yeah, that that was really nice. And that was a, a primetime game. It was on, on ESPN at 6. They moved it. So thank you, Kay Cunningham, for letting us get home two hours earlier because that would have been brutal with the 8 o'clock start. <laughs> but yeah, but like like I was saying with the Big Twelve, I mean Baylor's so good. Baylor had like everyone return, and um, yeah, it's and it's then crazy. we've seen that firsthand. And, then they have a lot of and they're good, and I think Texas is legit. And Texas Tech got all these new transfers again and got them eligible, yeah. and they're good because Beard's really good. And then Huggins, mm-hmm. uh, West Virginia, they got older. They have guards now, and they have their bigs from last year still with Shibwe and Culver. So, yeah, it's crazy. They're, they're, it's really good. Yeah. It's a good league. It's a tough time to be rebuilding, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to be a young team here. Although yeah. um, Oklahoma State got younger and got better, though. So sure. I guess well, you, you can up- if you get the when you pick up probably the top NBA yeah. draft pick, I mean, it's it's just like K-State in <laughs> 2006 going, or 2007 yeah. and yeah. picking up Beasley and all of a sudden becoming an NCAA tournament team because <laughs> right. you had one of the best players in the country. Basketball is crazy that way. I mean, one player can make that much of a difference. And I mean, Stephen, I wanted to ask you this KU team: is it, is it weird to see the Jayhawks without a rim protector or a significant inside presence? Yeah, it is. I kind of thought McCormick was going to be that for KU, but I'm not sure if he's gotten a whole lot better from last year. Just based on the limited games I've seen, I haven't seen all of them, but he's still only a sophomore. So, but he's a big guy. Does that count? Or he's not as a buki, so it doesn't. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he could get there maybe, but he's he just hasn't been very dominant thus far. So. Right. No, you're right. Uh, it's I guess it's kind of the way of basketball, like we were talking about, four-guard lineups. Like Coach Dixon gets really excited about thinking of a four-guard lineup and uh, wants to do that instead of having your two bigs down there. Um, have more guys, have yeah. Yeah. more guys shooting the open threes rather than 
a guarded two. Yeah, it's interesting. K-State actually doesn't play KU until February. I would think that would probably be advantage for the Wildcats. Don't you think, JT? Um, sure. <laughs> you know, just more more time to you know get the young guys ready and i mean i'm not saying that kansas state is going to beat kansas i think that would be kind of crazy but um, i you, you know, never know i'd be it could be one yeah. of those freak years i mean what was it 2014 was that the year i beat them in manhattan i you'd think i'd have yeah. them all memorized but <laughs> once once you, you pick up two or three then they actually start to run together i remember the first one really well because i was there but mm-hmm. um <laughs> uh, actually the first two really well because i was there for both of them but after that it was like okay which year was it but you know they were they were pretty bad and then still managed to sneak one against ku in manhattan so like stranger things have happened i don't think this team is doing it but but stranger things have happened i was right it was yeah. 2014 yeah beat ku in overtime okay there you go there you go yeah i don't know we'll see all right. Well, um, I guess before we wrap this up, Stephen, um, you know, you're a sports information director, you know, award-winning, I should say. So, you know, one of the things Did that I? I always love, you guys, didn't you, didn't you win an award of some sort at one point? Maybe, uh, maybe yeah, I don't know. Maybe a while ago. Okay. <laughs> uh, anyway, you know, I know as a reporter, the game notes always contain some fun, interesting nuggets, whether that's, you know, stats or just fun stories about the players. So well, what kind of interesting factoids do you have about TCU this year? Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, <laughs> interesting backstories. Um, okay. On the spot. Um, <laughs> let me I liked the one about the uh, seven players on the roster of the same name as their their dad. Oh my gosh! So I'm waiting to. I love that note. Uh, so someone actually <laughs> sent an email out thinking that he had four juniors on the team. You know, Stephen Schoen Jr. Whatever, and thought that 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 was maybe the best, and to let him know if there's anyone with you know three or four, and then he would compile a list. And so I replied back. I said, we have five that are on the list. But then I went back and I looked. Mike Miles is actually a junior. He's Mike Miles Jr. His Twitter handle is that, but he doesn't go by junior on his jersey or he doesn't go by junior uh-huh. on the roster. He'd be Mike Miles. So that counts. So that's six. <laughs> then there was another one like that. I can't remember. Oh, uh. Chuck O'Bannon, um, okay. Charles O'Bannon's son, Charles yeah. O'Bannon Jr. Yeah. So he goes by Chuck O'Bannon, um, <laughs> but he is named after his father. And then I also, I had forgotten, initially I'd forgotten PJ and RJ, Ruben mm-hmm. Jr. and Emhart, you know, Ruben Nimhart Jr. and then Philip Fuller Jr. So those are two more. So yeah. a lot of juniors. Uh, it's a weird stat. I just I, I just put in the game notes, and it doesn't yeah. mean anything. But <laughs> I want to add that it's the most in the country because it has to be because there's seven of them. Yeah. So it's just really obscure stuff. That's probably the best one. Um, I don't know. I can't think of anything that's more obscure than than that when it comes to names. Yeah. You get to uh, you get to name one. drop Mo Bamba on here, so. Oh, I did. I was happy to find 
find that stat. <laughs> Uh, that was, I believe, the last time a Big 12 player recorded 18 points. Oh, eight rebounds uh, and seven blocks. Thank you. Eight, I couldn't remember the rebounds right. part. Eight, yeah, which yeah. Kevin Samuel had at Oklahoma State, and he won Big 12 Player of the Week okay. for that. And that note definitely helped. I, I loved <laughs> getting a Mo Bamba. <laughs> In there, I was happy when I saw the list of Big Joe players that had had that stat line. I saw Mo Bamba. I'm like, ah, what a name! Love that. <laughs> um, yeah. Mike Miles had 26 points the last game, and that was the most by TCU player in 10 years. And then I quickly had to look up the last time a freshman for TCU had scored 30 points in a game, and that was Corey Santee in 2001, who's on our staff at TCU. Uh, nice. as a player development coordinator. So hopefully I'll get to use that one soon because I'm guessing okay. he might go for three at some point. So, so yeah, love that stuff. Love finding notes. And I have some dedicated student workers that uh, love finding notes also and help me out. I did just think one other thing. I'm wondering, you know, we've seen PCU's picked up a road win already. K-State's picked up a road win already. Do you, do you think we'll see any sort of record set for Big 12 road wins this year, being that obviously arenas are not going to be as formidable without the crowds? Yes, no question. I, Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been to all of our games, and I know we, we don't draw a lot, especially in November and December. Football state down here, and and then basketball comes later. And But, but you can just tell there's the lack of atmosphere in the building is crazy. And also we're not, you know, really trying to get people there because tickets are sold. We've sold our allotted 1600 of what we're allowed to sell. And now we just need those people to come. And also our Christmas break is extended another week because uh, what students didn't have, what was it? Labor day. They didn't have a labor day holiday. They didn't have their Thanksgiving holiday or something. And though, so like all the schools, like, extended Christmas break another week. So anyways, uh, we're going to have six home games this year where students are on campus. Six. Wow. Because we had none in November, none in December. Um, most of January we don't. And then we will have six games with them there. So that will be a big difference for a lot of schools. And like I said before, looking on TV and seeing Allen Fieldhouse over half empty and Hilton Coliseum over half empty you have to think that, you know, everything that goes into getting calls at home won't happen as much. And also opponents will feel more comfortable shooting in a half empty gym because that's what they'll be doing all season. Yeah. And K-State's the same way. I mean, we next time students will be on campus for a home game. Technically, you could say West Virginia on the 23rd, but classes don't start back till the 25th. So really, it's January 30th versus Texas A&M. I mean, we're talking about a whole month away before we get students back. And they didn't really even get to see the games on campus before break because the November games had no fans. And then it was all remote at K-State to finish out the semester. So the, the two weeks after Thanksgiving, K-State just went full remote. And that was their plan all year. But um, so even finals, the week of the seventh was all remote. So the games that, you know, maybe they could have. I know there were a few fan, few students that were at the Baylor game, at the Jacksonville game, but it was just, it's just not the same. 
So if you start with January 30th, I mean, that's only five games for Kansas State and just four Big 12 games. Crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's a big difference. All right. Well, uh, you know, hopefully we'll get a decent game Saturday. Steven, uh, thanks for coming on. Always appreciate it. Good time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Hey, we're playing sports. Yeah. We're playing okay. sports, so that's good. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> thanks, JT. Yeah. I'm Luke Thompson, signing off.